Hey, my name is Eric Swarzynski. I'm the creator and host of both the Preacher Boys podcast and the Film School podcast. And if you want to tell better stories that create no like and trust with your ideal audience, you need to be listening to the Stories That Sell podcast with my friend, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody. What's up on this episode of Stories That Sell? I chat with my friend, Eric Skorinski. Eric is a podcaster, a podcast coach, a marketer, a video storyteller. He just knows how to tell stories. Uh, He has an amazing podcast, very successful, called uh, Preacher Boys. And he has a brand new podcast now called Film Schooled. Uh, you definitely want to check that one out. We talk about uh, handling adversity, changing things up to keep it fresh, um, being authentic when you're telling your story, and the importance of niching down. And we just really get into some really great conversations. So stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Eric. Yeah, good to be here. I have been looking forward to this. I know that uh, <laughs> that you have a lot going on, so I can't wait to crack wait to crack into that. But uh, what's been going on lately, man? Uh, yeah. I mean, as of this recording, I just launched my new podcast, uh, film schooled, which is going to be really, really good. Um, I've got guests booked out through pretty much the end of the year and they're all really ridiculously high quality guests. Um, and then I've just been grinding on the preacher boys podcast. Uh, my other show, it's, uh, like 160 episodes in on that. Uh, and then I'm, uh, coaching and helping with branding for, uh, Travis Chappell's company, Gustio, and all of his podcast uh, stuff there. So just a lot of podcasting, a lot of time behind the microphone. Yeah, I could probably talk to you about this for about four hours because it's very intriguing to me, very interesting. Um, but really, I want to kind of do what we do every time we have a conversation is like, what formed you into this person who now is, uh, you know, neck deep in podcasts in the podcasting world, and then really want to... Um, Kind of, kind of want to dive into what created the the man that is standing here in front of me now with all the things going on. Yeah, I mean, I've just always been interested in storytelling, like, and that's why I love your podcast and and the style of it is that for me, storytelling has been something I've thought about since I was a little kid. My mom was heavy into literature; she actually was a lit teacher for a while too, um, and was always telling me stories. And also made me watch a lot of movies. So I watched, you know, um, I grew up watching like the black and white, like Errol Flynn movies, like Captain Blood and Seahawk. And um, I remember in one of those movies, it's either Captain Blood or Seahawk, there's a, a big fight on a pirate ship and one of the sailors gets stabbed, but it, the, the sword just goes in his arm, a very stage theatrical, then he falls off to the side. And I remember like, my, I, I think my mom kind of explained it, but she was just like, oh, they're pretending like they're, it's all acting. And 
from that early age, like all I wanted to do was do creative stuff. I wanted to draw, I want to make movies. Like when Spider-Man came out, like me and my friends were like, we'd run around in Spider-Man costumes and like film little movies, like five, six, seven years old. We're running around with VHS cameras shooting. And that carried all the way through high school. Like I just kept upgrading my cameras slowly and kept shooting. And every church event we had, I would shoot every school event I would shoot. Like it was what I did. And so storytelling has taken many different forms for me over the years, but it's all been rooted in that childhood interest in telling stories, pretending, and then eventually doing narrative, um, like true story stuff as well. Yeah. So you got started, your mom was really into, into video and the arts you said in literature. So what, like at what age did you start filming? I mean, really, cause I've thought I've tried to nail down in my head when it was, but it's gotta, it was pre, I want to say it was either kindergarten oh, wow. or I mean to where it may, yeah, because 2000, no, it would have been, I would have been about seven. I'm trying to play it because it would have been maybe a little bit older, but I mean, under eight, I was seven, seven and a half, like, and his dad, my, my best friend's dad at the time would just, he was one of those guys, like every dad has something they get into. And so like, he would just buy every new camera that came out and like a new type of camera, I should say. So when VHS was big, he bought a VHS camera, when then mini DV, then he would go to that. And so he had this VHS camcorder and he went to mini DV. And then he was like, here, you guys can play with this VHS camera that I don't need now. And so we just practiced shooting and would like, you know, it was bad ripoffs of every movie that we liked at the time, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And it, it, very early on, I just remember thinking about, you know, how do we set up a shot? You know, how do, how do I, and specifically not because I was a genius and was thinking about shots, but I would just go like, how do I make it look like Terminator? Or how do I make it look like, you know, this scene? Or how do I make it look like, you know, this shot I saw in a superhero movie? Like that was in my head very early on. And it gave us an excuse to do a lot of, you know, just dumb stuff and, uh, and uh, have fun with it. Yeah, I, I actually went through a, a pretty long phase of doing that with friends where we would have a VHS camera. Now, those were huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, these, definitely. These, they were the size of us, you know, yeah, running around. Yeah, you're lugging these things around. We would do claymation and then we would do, you know, skits and plays. And and I just absolutely love that, that creative, all those creative memories that came from that. When was the first time when something you created was actually seen by more than just, you know, your friends and family? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I grew up in church. So like, um, you know, I begged when I got into junior high around then to like show stuff in church and like be able to make things for that. So like announcement videos and whenever we do a youth group activity, I would, I would be the guy off to the side filming and then cutting together a recap and showing it the next Sunday. And so really it, it was one of those, I don't remember the first one, but it was, it was a funny thing because I was so excited to do it. And then I always was like, because I knew it didn't look like exactly what I wanted it to look like, because I didn't know how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. I just remember every time they would show it, I would like leave the auditorium. So like I would push to get it shown 
And then the minute they start playing it, I'd be like, I have to go to the bathroom. And I would wait like 10 minutes, come back when it's over and then just see how people responded to it. Um, but yeah, it would be in the church setting for sure. Okay. So you, did you continue to work in doing uh, church videos and things in that environment mostly, or were there other outlets where you were using those skills and yeah, it was mainly that and then whatever else people would let me do. So I would do a lot of that. I, I made like a really, really bad short film that I don't even think got finished. Like the first two minutes of it got done. And then it, it's, I don't know where it even is now. Like it was just really bad. And then, um, you know, my thing was always like my vision was so big. And then I was like, me and three dumb high school friends would be like, try to do it. And it was like, oh, this doesn't look how we want it to look. And, um, but I mean, yeah, I would, and then I would also like, I started going to like other churches in the area and working with them. And then also, um, you know, I, I worked with like smaller, like business owners and stuff for a little bit who would let me do it for like, you know, Hey, want to shoot for three days for like a hundred bucks and like make 10 videos. Like, yeah, you know, and, um, yeah. So I just worked with a couple of different people. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of went on from there. And then my next step out of high school was interning for a media production company. So I actually ended up working with churches, nonprofits, schools across the country and eventually internationally, um, and just kept building and building on that from there. Yeah. So you, uh, I've heard some of that story and some of that story actually kind of bleeds because there's, you've mentioned church a few times and it really kind of bleeds into one of your podcasts now. And I definitely want to dig into that a little bit. So you, you start doing some things for when you're intern, you're interning. Did you go to college? Did you um, get any formal education around storytelling? Because when you have a, what I would call a successful podcast, and now you're launching another podcast, you obviously understand how to tell stories. Where did that, I mean, you, it was kind of born in you really young, but how did that develop into a really nicely uh, formed skill? Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S forgyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Yeah. I mean, what, what really happened? So the situation you're circling that led to my podcast, preacher boys, where I talk about clergy abuse, obviously indicates there <laughs> something sparked that. So, yeah. um, yeah, I was in the, I was in the last, um, two years of my high school. I was end of 10th grade. It was a summer before 11th grade. And, essentially we had a predator get shuffled from one ministry to our ministry. Um, at the time, the previous ministry was a hundred percent covering up for him and um, they shifted him to mine. I was the first one to find out just from a Google search. I saw that there was a warrant out for his arrest and all this stuff. Like first three articles on Google were all these details about what happened. And I went to the church leaders within the church where literally my dad still works to this day. My parents were at, and 
nobody did anything about it. Like they just were like, you're bitter. You're upset about this. Like you need to forgive. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. You know, like I'm young, but I feel like the adults in my life are making a bad decision here. And so I started getting kind of pushed out of my religious bubble, my circle, because people were getting mad at me for keeping bringing this up. And at the time I was registered to go to college at a Bible college within the denomination that was closely connected to our church. And in my mind, I was just like, I do not want to do this. Like, I do not want to go here, but I have to go here because there's so much pressure. And long story short, uh, about two months before I graduated, get dreading going to my one year Bible college stuff. And uh, I get a call from a guy I'd met at a summer camp um, that he had put on. And he says, Hey, I know you're, uh, you know, he said, what are your plans for after you graduate? And I said, you know, Bible college. And he's like, I don't think you want to do that. Um, would you rather go to India and shoot a documentary instead? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so, wow. so yeah. So I basically, uh, what I ended up doing is I told my pastor, I said, I'm not going to Bible college. I don't want to do that. That was a big, <laughs> a big explosion on its own kind of finished destroying whatever connections and threads I had left. And I graduated, I went out to Fresno, California and spent, you know, the first, literally I got there in July and then August, I shipped out to India for three weeks and we shot a, a documentary um, called light in the darkness out there and worked very closely with, you know, a lot of national pastors and things shot in, you know, shot on the Ganges river and like all over the place and then came back and I ended up working with churches in DC, Hawaii, Indiana, uh, I mean, Arizona, like all over the place. Um, and eventually ended up shooting in Cuba, Dominican Republic, and then back to India. So with that two-year time period, it was just me solo videographer going out having to create a story in like two days and then, you know, brand these churches and organizations. And it was a lot of fun. It was a big, it was a big learning curve. I messed up a lot. Um, and, but also got really good. Um, I think, I think I got really good, uh, near the end of that time. I just felt like I kind of learned how to put the technical side into the visual side and, uh, how to create content quickly that, that did well. At this and you're still in your 20s at this age, is that correct? I mean, at this yeah. point in the story, yeah, I'm still in my 20s now, <laughs> so um, blows me away. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was 20, I was about 20 when I left that. So I was I was 18, 19 years old doing all this, which is kind of crazy. I've never even thought about that really, but it's it's because at the time I was just like, I'm an adult, like let's go shoot, you know, <laughs> let's go do this. And, but yeah, I, through that time I was, I was, yeah, I was right about 20, maybe 21 when I left, but I was not old enough to drink, uh, for sure. When I, when I was doing it. So, so how long did it take or what did it take to kind of break out You're you're up until this point, you're talking a lot about the church connections and that's really mm -hmm. how you built this skill and how you got your, I mean, you've traveled the world, uh, yeah. and, and made films. When did you kind of break out of the, the kind of that church world. Yeah. So I was in that for a while and then I left that job and actually worked with a nonprofit. So I kind of, I, I always joke, like just when you think you're out, they drag you back in, you know, like I left and ended up leaving because one of the clients, the ones that were in the cube in Cuba, Dominican and 
and India, like I really loved what they were doing. They had an orphanage, they had all this stuff. And I was like, I need to be a part of this. So I left and just became their marketing person and helped them fundraise quite a bit and, and all this stuff. Um, I ended up leaving there in 2000 something, <laughs> 2016 or 17 and took a marketing job at a, at a large auto group in uh, Hemet, Temecula and Escondido. It's like the second, second largest employer in Riverside County. Uh, it was a massive next to like just underneath the hospital, um, the Kaiser Permanente. So they were a huge organization, about 780 people that worked there. And I was running marketing for all of their stores. So like six or seven dealerships, service departments, and just shooting creative content for them. And uh, really that was my, that was my largest, like quote unquote, secular client that I worked with for like two years. Um, And then really I just got stir crazy. Like I got really stir crazy. I had been working up until that point. I had done the nine to five thing in Fresno kind of, but I was constantly traveling, doing new stuff. Like I wasn't just sitting static. You know, when I worked at the other organization, I would start working and I would work all night and just hang out during the day. And then this job, like I'm sitting in a cubicle from eight o'clock to five 30, usually eight 30. Cause I would get in late eight 30 to five 30. And I would just sit at my desk and think about content, go shoot it, come back. And it just got really old. And I started getting like, just so much anxiety of like, I don't want to sit in a desk job. I'm watching people get trophies for being there for 30 years. And I was like, that's depressing. Like if I'm somewhere in 30 years where I'm still working in a cubicle for someone and have no control over my schedule, like, Ooh, that's a depressing existence. So really I, I had started working with Travis Chapel, who's a, has a big business podcast. I was working on his show on the side. And he was like, why are you still doing this? Start getting your own clients. So I just started diving into the podcasting space and trying to find people who I could edit their show for them to make enough money to quit my job. And it basically took me a couple months to do that um, because I suck at sales, which you could talk about if you want. Uh, I I suck at sales. And Travis kind of coached me on sales and was like, hey, do this, write a script, do this. And I started closing like one after another and ended out that year with like, you know, 13, 14 clients that I was solely working with. Um, and that really pushed me out of the video kind of visual space into podcasting, um, which I find as fulfilling as the video. Like I never thought I would want to do anything other than shooting, but now I'm like, I kind of love podcasting. Like it's kind of the best. (laughs) So that's a long story short, but also very long. There you go. Oh, I, I, I love it. But I do remember I had met you through the Travis Chapel program. I need, I, I basically hired you as a podcast coach and, yeah. um, and uh, never yeah, I'm grading back. you off to the side. I've got right, your right. report oh. card. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I remember like right after I got started, you're like, Hey, I'm in Dallas area. I'm like, Holy cow. Like, but what I noticed right away is that you have a lot of things going on. You are, you're traveling with people, you're, you're, you're capturing, it's probably still video, I believe, doing um, a lot of, I want to get kind of get, get into that marketing thing, the way that you do marketing, because when I talk with you, I'm just, my, my mind kind of explodes and I'm like, how could I have not thought of that? It's, it's so fluid and, and um, easy for you. It seems like it. So yeah. you're still traveling a lot. I mean, it's not like you stopped. 
<laughs> no, I mean, it, the thing is, is like, it's a, and it's funny because I was just in San Diego, like literally two weeks ago, like shooting it's, I've just gotten a lot choosier with what I say yes to, I think would be the biggest thing. And it feels like when I shoot now, it's, I have basically two or three people that I like working with that I just say yes to pretty much everything they do. Even sometimes like just to go hang out, like I get, I'm going to get paid to go hang out with you in this area for a while, but it's like, yeah, like branding is just what I love. Like there's people who I, I hang out with now in the business world, you know, I'll get, I'll go to these, you know, dinners with Travis and we'll sit with business people and they'll talk about like, they get amped up about sales and like quarterly numbers and, you know, all this stuff that like, Oh, I just crushed it. We had our first, you know, this, and, and I get kind of like, I, I can be interested in it, but I, my brain doesn't work like that. Like it doesn't work. And then I've got other people, like we've got someone on our team who's so organizational and like loves creating systems. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like, you know, slay me now. Like this is the worst. But when it comes to, you know, how I kind of started coaching with Travis was he literally would call me on his coaching days and be like, I can't think of a name for this person's show. And he would be like, I'd say, what is it? What is the thing? And I would just spit out a name and he would be like, oh, boom, that's perfect. Thanks. And then hang up. And then I started coming out in person and like, that's what I would do. And it's just for whatever reason. And I think it's just because I it's storytelling essentially is what branding is like, that's how my brain is been trained to function for as long as I can remember thinking about things, you know, like as long as I can think about, you know, life. And as soon as I gained consciousness, I was basically trying to make films and tell stories and write books and color. Like that's just how my brain functions. And so for me, the biggest, the biggest learning thing in the last few years has been going like, Oh, other people don't think like this. So I can market this as a skill. And when you're good at something, like truly good at something, it's easy not to recognize it as a skill because it's easy to you at that point. Um, and so it's been a it's been an interesting realization going like, oh, I'm as valuable as a salesperson or as this. Because for a long time, I just thought like, oh, I'm the weird guy with the camera. You know, I embraced that and I was cool being the weird guy with the camera, but I didn't realize just how valuable that that skill was. Incredibly valuable. It's it's really interesting in business there, you know, everything, if, if, if you're having trouble on your business, sell, sales solves all is sales solve all is the, the thing that you'll hear over and over again. And mm. the, the thing that I always struggled with and still like, but you have to get people into the funnel. You got to have yeah. that conversation with them. So yeah. really marketing is so incredibly pivotal to a, a brand or a company's ability to get the message or the story out how, right. how important is it to actually tell like an origin story? Like I always loved that process, like having the opportunity to share out there with maybe um, potential clients, how and why this thing started. Yeah. And then, cause I, I kind of feel like that really show uh, unfolds the, the why and how, and why they should be doing our, our service or using our service. Yeah. I, I mean, well, it, I realized it when I was working at the auto group because they would hit record months, you know, and like they would, we do these sales things. And like, I would be there on a whiteboard writing out, here's the theme for the month. Here's what we can do. And 
I would see like these crazy bonuses going to salespeople. And I'm like, I feel like I should be getting a cut of this because the reason they had customers is because I brought them in the door, you know, and not just solely me, but me, our graphic designer, and then our marketing director. And I would go like, I feel like I should be getting a cut of this because really before you can do sales, you have to do the storytelling to get someone ready to buy. And, you know, me and Travis talk about this all the time, like the purpose of content, you know, the purpose of telling your story is to build no like, and trust with your ideal audience. And so whether that is advocacy, like I'm doing with the Preacher Boys podcast and getting people to buy into the fact that this is an important topic that needs to be addressed and discussed, or whether it's something like my new podcast, Film Schooled, where I want people who are aspiring filmmakers, people who love cinema to understand like who made their favorite filmmaker and what goes into creating uh, a memorable film or whether it's a business podcast, like stories that sell. And the idea of it is to build no like, and trust with you as a person. So you can help people do that. Like all that happens by them getting to know who you are. And there's no better way to tell someone who you are than by telling a really good story. That doesn't mean having your founder sit down in a suit and tie and be like in 1962 we did this it's telling people like what i just did hey i was sitting there i didn't realize that i had any kind of skill i didn't realize that i could brand myself i started going into the podcast space and started utilizing that i started you know building a show where nobody knew me i started a show in january of 2020 and crossed half a million downloads in a year and a half like people start going like, oh, you know what you're talking about. Like, you're not just selling podcast coaching. Like you've sold me on the fact that you've done it. Now I want to know how to do it. And so it's, it's everything. Like anybody who says like, you know, Hey, we want to spend our money on just salespeople, but not branding. They're missing it just as much as someone who says we spend all our money on branding, but never close the sale. They're missing it. Um, all of it works together. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll digress for a minute and then I'll bring it back around. But I always had such a hard time with, you know, the, I learned kind of later in life that the only way to out earn even like the president of a company or the higher ups is to be in sales. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. So often they in, in tech or med supply, I mean, med supplies or, uh, or technology, you can just literally just completely blow away everyone else. And it's yeah. insane to me. It's absolutely san- insanity. But sales is such an intriguing and interesting process that just is not part of my DNA. Like I just, it's it's tough. So um, you obviously know how to sell or how to tell stories. And I think, I think that's obvious because of your success with Preacher Boys. So Preacher Boys is basically, which, which blows me away because it, uh, Preacher Boys really is a very niched um, story. Yeah. Like it's in a very small church denomination and it's calling out church abuse within that denomination, but more importantly, the cover up. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what's, what's that movie that was just out? Not just out. I think it was uh, Spotlight. 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 Yeah. You know, and I watched that and I was thinking the whole time about Preacher Boys and about how this, all this interwoven and, things are covered up and people are moved. And that's kind of what I've heard listening to your podcast. People are, are relocated. So what about that? What about your skill, your talent, your storytelling took this kind of really niched um, audience or, or uh, guest and made it so successful? Well, I think it's just that. I think, I think 
you know, everyone always says there's riches and niches, but then everybody tries to be as broad as they possibly can. And it, it makes no sense because from, from the minute you get into business, whatever format that takes, people say that somewhere down the line, you've heard someone say there's riches and niches, there's riches and niches. And then when you want to do anything, those same companies or those same people giving advice will go like, now don't get too specific though. Like we want to hit everybody. And if you aim for everybody, you end up hitting nobody. Um, With Preacher Boys, I think the reason that it got successful, and I'm shocked too. So like, I'm not saying like I went into it going, to some extent I was going into it knowing like I'll do some things to be successful, but I was shocked too, but I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have been shocked that a niche show did well because the truth is there is the riches and niches. So what happened with Preacher Boys is there was a glaring issue that affected, and look, a niche sounds really small, but it's it's like if there's 6,000 churches, which is like what the rough numbers are, if there's 6,000 of these churches and they all have 250 to 500 members, that's a lot of people in that niche. And then you think of all the people generationally that have left those churches or have family in those churches, like it's a very niche topic, but there's still a lot of flesh and bone listeners that can, that can tune in. But what happened is, is I, I looked for an opportunity where there was a large demographic of people that historically had not been allowed to share their story. And I used my skills as a storyteller to build a platform where then I can take the microphone and hand that to a survivor of abuse who, again, historically in the church didn't have a voice or couldn't speak up against a pastor. So it was kind of a mix of those two things. One, I think it was just the niche. I think it's fact, no one was talking about it. That's what happened with the Catholic church. Like it, you know, that's a much larger organization, but once the, the crack in the dam happened, it broke really quick. And I think with the independent Baptist world, there were people who were sitting there waiting, going like, when is someone going to make it okay to say something? And I'm not by any means the first person to do it, but I think I was uniquely positioned because of the skills I had as a storyteller, mm-hmm. not as a therapist, not even as an interviewer, not as any of those things in the beginning, like that would come. But in the beginning, it was just, I knew how to build a platform, how to create a little bit of content and start doing it. And then I could bring in the people who actually were qualified to speak, to come on the show and share their story. So they got to use my platform. I got to, you know, leverage their voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole niche conversation is, um, it almost needs to just be repeated so frequently because even, uh, myself working in a niche area, uh, or, or demographic. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, but if I did this, we just Mm -hmm. this mindset that hitting wider is better. But I listened to a podcast a while back by the founder of design pickle, Russ Perry, Hmm. who was telling a story and he said, look, you have to look at it like this. If you were in Memphis, Tennessee, and you closed off all the boundaries, all you were marketing to is people inside of Memphis, Memphis proper. He goes, and your, your, uh, your client was people who love putting designs and really intricate paintings on their tone, their cat's toenails. If that was your client, he said, you could be a millionaire. Hmm. He said, you have to start thinking, you have to stop thinking small. There are so many people that if you really niche down, yeah. you'll find them so much easier. And that's always stuck with me because it's so it's, I don't know if it's yeah. true, but he, he was making a point and I thought it was yeah. profound and really cool. Um, right. I've also heard, uh, in, in a business that I was in, which was absolutely the truth, the bit bigger your headache, the bigger your paycheck. Mm. Uh, is that wrong true for doing something like Preacher Boys? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, in a way. I mean, I definitely get the headache. I haven't gotten the massive paycheck well, that paycheck I'm is followers and podcasts. <laughs> sure. Right? Like it's sure. Not yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been, um, yeah, and look, like, I mean, Preacher Boys has done well, like it, it, it's gotten now it's gotten ad revenue with the size and it's, it's doing well on all counts. But like my biggest goal doing it was, you know, it was it was getting attention on this subject. And, and with that has come headaches, but they've all I mean, yes and no. I think I think there's I think a lot of headaches in podcasting are self-inflicted. And I think it's when we the most headaches I see when I sit across from clients, when I sit across from people who are just friends I'm giving advice to, um, or somewhere in between, like the headaches are self-inflicted. It's where I'm sitting down and they're going, Oh my God, my follower count is this, or, Oh my God, my downloads are this, or, Oh man, I couldn't book this person. And there's a freedom in when, when you know what your goal is. So the preacher boys, my goal in the beginning was to spread the news about this issue. That was it. <laughs> I even said to my wife in the beginning, I said, if I end up reaching a hundred people by the end of the year, like, and I was literally launching in January. It's like, if I had a hundred people by the end of the year, like unique people, I won. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal. My goal was just to like, say this out loud into a microphone and people hear it. I surpassed that goal by, you know, I had like 300,000 downloads, you know, that was amazing. But, you know, I, there's been times in the early days where I would sit there and go like, God, why are my downloads like this? Or why are, or someone I'd be working with, I'm like, why are there downloads like this? But the thing is that doesn't need to be everyone's goal. Like not every show is going to have a million downloads. A, a coach who's wants to sell coaching doesn't need a million people listening. They need a hundred people that really buy into their message or 10 people. You know, I, I was working with someone who's a coach who literally is just a solo coach and wants to make their full-time link. I was like, you need five people maybe to, right. to do this. So yeah, I think you can have headaches with it. I, I think, but I think also too, like you can't put them on yourself. Like it's kind of like the thing of hustling, like hustle is good. Like working hard is good. I work in some capacity on some kind of thing from the minute I wake up to the time I go to bed. Like I'm always working, always jotting things down, writing. I know you're, you're exactly the same, like always thinking about something, but it's not a stressful thing though, at this point, because I, I don't look at all of the things that indicate I'm doing something wrong. I look at what I'm doing right and lean into it. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, like a lot of those headaches go away. Like this new show that I have, like, I don't know how many downloads there are yet. Like, I just launched it. I don't know what the downloads are, but I do know that I booked three or four people that I never thought I'd ever be able to talk to ever. <laughs> and I get to sit and talk with them for an hour when they charge people, you know, 300 bucks on cameo for a 60 second shout out, you know, like that is so cool. And so like my success on that show right now is to keep doing the show. <laughs> if I can get up every day and, or every day I have something scheduled and record, I'm winning. Like, and over time, I'm going to start getting those paychecks and that show is going to succeed. And I have no doubt that, you know, in another two, three years, I'm going to look on this show specifically and go like, oh, this is a crazy income for something that is just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, another aspect that you're not, uh, maybe you didn't think about, but, and something that I love about you and this will kind of pivot to our, our next segment is kind of how you deal with things because you are Mm. in your twenties and 
quite honestly, when I met first met you, I, I after we met, I kind of, and then I had another call with you. It kind of hit my head like, whoa, this dude is really young, you know, yeah. <laughs> really young. And and the success and the experiences you've had are are pretty pretty tremendous, quite honestly. Hmm. But um, something that I've seen you do is embrace uh, criticism and mm. done that publicly you you've taken a video which you know you're making a wave when people are yeah. reaching about yeah. Eric. uh so what how did like were you always kind of thick skin and that didn't bother you or did you use this as a way to kind of grow through that let's talk to those of us who are business owners or entrepreneurs and really struggle with rejection and criticism yeah it, it, again it's one of those things like it just I was not always like that. I, I was, and in some extent too, I'm still a very insecure person, but I think here's, here's the advice I'll give. So I'm a total empath. So like I read things that people aren't even saying, like I, I read things. I know when something's off, you know, three or four days ago, I was on a team call with, with two people. And I was just like, I feel really sick to my stomach about this thing. And I said, and I'm never wrong. So that makes me more nervous because I, I don't just get feelings for no reason, but so I am insecure about a lot of things. And then growing up, you know, especially in the end of high school, like everything, I took everything, like someone shot something at me, like I absorbed it. What's changed mentally for me. And this kind of goes back to like knowing what your mark of success is. Uh, now I have maybe three to four people who I like really take criticism from, like, I'll listen to everybody. Like, like if someone says who listened to my show once says, Oh, you said this a lot. And it was really repetitive. I'm going to take that. And I'm still going to remember that and try not to say um, a million times, or I'm going to take that and say, Oh, I need to make my question shorter and things like that. But people who I let deeply affect or like make comments on me as a person is a very, very small list you know, like I limit who I take that criticism from. So whereas four years ago, if a pastor got behind a pulpit and said, Eric is going to hell and dragging millions of people with him, which is what a pastor did say behind his pulpit. Um, that doesn't matter to me because who is that? They don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm working on. They don't know how I feel. They don't know the, all the good things that I've done that no one sees. Like they don't know those things. So why am I going to let someone who doesn't know me like change my own opinion about myself mm -hmm. versus like that list of people. Like if my wife says, Hey, you're not acting like yourself. Or if Travis came to me and said, Hey, what you're doing is a hundred percent wrong. Or if Dan Ermler from Indiana, who I used to work for in Fresno and have still have a great relationship with, if he says, Hey man, like I saw what you just did and it wasn't cool. I'm going to stop and go like, these people know me more than anybody else. What do they see that I'm not seeing? And just doing that, like, that's kind of that security. Like, I think there's a problem when you get to like, oh, I'm so arrogant that nobody can tell me what to do. That's a problem. Um, but I do think like the Bible talks about in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Like that stuck with me very early on in my adult life to where I specifically was like, you're one of my counselors. You're one of my counselors. I have like four or five of those boom, I'm good. And now I don't need the opinion. I get hate all day, every day in my inbox. Like it's scary to open my inbox, Yeah. but that never gets in past my first line of defense. Like almost never. There's been one or two times where it still hits you and you, you know, you shut down, but 
overall, it's like, I have my, you're not one of my people. You're not one of my five, four or five people that I would say, oh, that matters to me. Like that you hate me, <laughs> you know, or that you're upset with me. Yeah. I, I really resonate with that because I'm, I'm, I really watch what people are, how they're mm. acting, their inflection and their, their, their spoken word, uh, their look on their face. And I literally will kind of ha- used to really download that immediately. And like, it's reflecting inside of me yeah. or what I'm doing. And I, I, someone told me once, and I don't know where they got it. They said, Scott, you just need to raise the rent in your head. And mm-hmm. I really like what you said, because you literally have raised the rent and the only people who can ma- match that rent, th- there's like four or five people because they are of that quality. The rest are just, you know, yeah. they're, they're yeah. homeless bums trying to get a, get right. a for a and, minute. And it'll happen in the moment. Yeah. Like I still, I'll sit down with people. Like even, you know, even when we sat down for lunch, like there's still part of me that's going like, oh, does he, you know, am I jiving? Like, does yeah. he, do I make sense? Always. But like, but overall, like at a certain point, it's like, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. I'm confident what I'm sharing. And like, if I know those things are true, like when it comes to like my business, I I know that I, what I'm coaching works, I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So like, if I step away and you're going like, you know, Hey, you wasted my time and I didn't learn anything, you know, like I know objectively it's not true. (laughs) So like, I might be like, Hey, Scott, as a friend in this relationship, like, here's this, this, and this, like, and like, I want to help you. I want you to feel, I don't want you to feel like that. But at the end of the day, like, I know what the truth is. And I, you know, as much as I want to help you do that, like, I also can't, you know, I can't stick around for six years of you like beating me over the head with like, Hey, do this for me now, do this. So you have to be careful. Like, again, what layer of defense do you let down for different people? And for most, I think it should be that, that first layer should catch all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a lesson I learned in my forties. <laughs> so it must be really nice getting to that. Imagine one. what I'll learn by then. If I'm already here, if I've already gotten to this, no. <laughs> yes. Um, so you, something that kind of blew my mind and, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap up around this story and a few other questions, but something that blew my mind was the fact that at, at one point it was like Eric's coaching, he's traveling, traveling around with these business owners and, and doing some marketing for people or, or media for folks. And then preacher boys, like I was looking at, and I was following all your content, still do listening to the podcast, watching the, the social media you're putting out. I'm like, how does he do it? And I think some people think that about me as well, but I, my, I was thinking, how is Eric doing this? And then the next thing I know, and you told me a few weeks ago, oh, I'm, I'm starting a new podcast and I'm, my brain is like, uh, and this from a guy who does two, actually three podcasts. So I get it. But yeah. like, at what point did you decide I got to do another one? Cause I know it's a passion for you. And I, I think yeah. it's a part of it. I just had to, I just like, it, for me, it was, you know, I was, I started another show when I started preacher boys and it was in a similar vein, but not quite. I did it for 12 episodes and was like, I hate this. I hate how I feel interviewing. I hate the topic. I don't like the art. Like there was everything. I just didn't like it. And so I shut that down. Like I, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. And with podcasting, especially, you know, this, like if I don't want to be doing it in five years, like I don't need to be doing it now. So with that, I just shut it down. Um, And I've been thinking about this podcast and variations and like, I've got six or seven podcast ideas in my head that are just amazing. And I know they would all be good shows if someone had like 
a billion opportunities to do them. Like if I could do them all myself, I would, but it's like this show specifically kept circling back around, kept circling back around. And it just got to a point where it was like, I need to do this. Like, I know this is what I need to do next. And as far as like, you know, the timing and schedule, like with everything you take on, if it, if it's coming from that place more than just money or more than just something else, like if it's just like, oh, I viscerally need to tell this story or do this topic or talk to these people, like it doesn't bother me to have that on my calendar at Saturday at three o'clock PM, you know, like it doesn't bother me. Like if I had a call with someone to like sell them on something at Saturday, three o'clock, I'd be sick to my stomach all week until Saturday then I would ruin the sale. Cause I felt sick to my stomach all week up to that point. And they would read that and leave. But like, I got to interview people that I've always wanted to talk to, you know, on a Saturday, or I get to talk to them after I get done with my coaching, you know, on a day where I'm wiped out, right. like it pumps me up enough to keep it going. So like, again, that's my advice to people who are like wanting to tell stories. Like that's why that authenticity is so important is like, if you, you know, if you're going to be doing branding or telling a certain story, like make it a story you care about because it becomes very easy to spend time on that. It's very easy for me. Like literally like, did you know, I talked about building out your list of dream guests and pitching like in the last like two days, I probably have sent 250 pitches via email. Yeah. And I literally just after my daughter was in bed. So like seven 30, I sat down, I put on the Sopranos because I've been binging through that, which could be a whole podcast episode, binging through that. As I watched like two, three episodes, I sat there. Okay. Who's this person? Boom. Wrote out my, wrote out my custom pitch for them. Boom. Who's this person? Wrote out my custom pitch for them. I woke up this morning to like two people who were on my top number, like five or six spot on my list said yes to coming on the show. Oh, like one of the, one of them did it literally right after I sent it. So like. But again, like if it was something I didn't want to do, I wouldn't have done that last night. I wouldn't have put in the work, you know, you have to learn to love that thing or pick something that works in the, in the vein you're focused on already. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. In the interest of time and, and, um, being respectful to you and all the things you're doing, all these podcasts you're doing and recordings. Yeah. yeah. And I got a coach in like 10 minutes. How about that? <laughs> so, um, and maybe I can pitch someone in between. We'll see. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, at your age, and I'm sorry, I keep bringing that up because it just keeps blowing my mind. What's your favorite way to learn? Is it YouTube? Um, is it videos, podcasts? It used to be video. Uh, probably it's probably audiobooks or podcast. No, 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 no. Uh, audiobooks or podcasts. If I'm driving and traveling, um, but I paperback books are my favorite to really to really pull in information. Um, it would be paper paperback books. Okay, cool. I, I, I love that question. Everyone is so different. And uh, I wondered if how age would play. And of course, that's a yeah. real generalization, but yeah, it's usually podcasts or audiobooks out of necessity because that's how I can. Um, like I'll be designing and listening to something. But if I can sit down with a physical book, that's by far my favorite. How, what would, what's one piece of advice you give to listeners who just want to be better at storytelling? Um, man, I mean, same things. I mean, niche down. Um, I, I would just say the biggest thing would just be, be pick something that you're passionate about, you know, like tell stories that you feel like you're uniquely positioned to tell and that you're passionate about. Like 
I, I see a lot of people that just try to pick what they think will be popular instead of just preaching what they believe in. And I think if you can passionately talk about something you believe in that shows in your work and you're going to draw your audience. That's why I wasn't worried about starting a film podcast because I know film more than most people that have film podcasts. Like it's ridiculous. Like I, I, I know things where like, I'll just think of something and I'm like, why do I know that? Like my wife will ask me like, what's the movie with this person? Like a third actor on the list. And I'll be like, name the movie. And she's like, Oh, you've seen it. No, I just know. I just know that because I know some directors, you know, filmography. So yeah, something you're passionate about and let that drip through your work. You know, you will find other people like you. That's incredible. Uh, last question. Uh, t- rewind 10 or 15 years. What would, what would be a piece of advice you'd give to yourself? 26. So how old would I be 15 years ago? Oh gosh, be... let's go 10 years. <laughs> uh, let's say, yeah, 10 years is easy for me because I can do the math. So tw- 16 years old, that would be exactly when I was about to find out all this stuff and get my world shattered, my religious bubble, my family bubble, my friend bubble. I would say kind of what I just said, um, there, you're not the only person who sees this. Um, there's other people out there like you and don't be afraid to raise, don't be afraid to raise your voice because you're going to find the people that you need to attract in your life. And the people that are cutting you out for telling the truth, um, are not the people that you need to be investing in. Um, I think it would have been really helpful for me at that age to hear someone say like, you're not the only person who thinks this or feels like this or believes this. And uh, that's been a beautiful healing thing about the podcast is I'm finding people every day that are truly thinking the same way that I am and feel the same hurt and have the same dreams and things like that. So that's been really cool. Yeah. I think we always, we, we tend to default to think we're in some sort of bubble in our circuit. It's high school. We think that we're like the only kid that likes Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like, no, there's other nerdy kids too. Like even for you, there's somebody. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for telling us your story and all the amazing things you do. I know your, your podcast um, film schooled is going to be an absolute hit. Are you seeing it looks very interesting. So thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. And yeah, definitely. If you're listening to this, check that out. Uh, More interesting people than me on both Preacher Boys and Film Schooled. Uh, So definitely check it out. Yeah. Where would we follow you? I totally blanked Either Either place. I mean, the biggest favor your audience could do for me is go check out Film Schooled. That's my newest project. I want to get that reviewed and five-star ratings and all that good stuff. So check it out. I've got the producer of Home Alone uh, Mystic Pizza, Teen oh, Wolf. Wow, he's he's awesome. episode one. Uh, episode two, I have the director of Hatchet Three and a bunch of Slayer music videos. And then he uh, he's worked on like Malignant, Conjuring, Avengers, Ant Man. Like he wow. is awesome. So if you like any kind of movies, like you'll find something just in the first two episodes that'll that'll float your boat. So, and I know how important this is. Go find Homeschooled on Apple Podcasts. Rate, listen to it. Rate it. Give your rating. Uh, give a review because it makes a huge difference. And if you have a podcast, you should be asking that as well. (laughs) Right. hundred percent. Thanks again, Eric. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for listening to the stories that sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.